Welcome to Sports Mad Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. Over the past week, we've had two posts on sportsmedres.org. That's res.org. This week, we introduced a series of treatment guidelines from the International Association of Dental Traumatology on the management of traumatic dental injuries. We also summarized a study where the authors found that a majority of high school baseball athletes reported being highly specialized. Highly specialized athletes were four times more likely to report an upper extremity overuse injury in the prior year. This week, Jane McDevitt will facilitate a discussion on peer-led concussion education. We will have a link to the article as well as the manual that is discussed in this podcast in our show notes. Hello, we are here with the authors from the research entitled Randomized Controlled Trial of a Novel Peer Concussion Education Program for Collegiate Athletes uh, that was recently published in the Journal of Athletic Training. I would like to just go around and have all the authors introduce themselves. Uh, Meredith, we're going to start with you. Hi, Meredith Mevel. I'm the Associate Dean of the School of Nursing and Health Sciences at LaSalle University and a professor of public health. Uh, Bill? My name is Bill Ernst. I'm an Associate Professor of Psychology in the Doctoral Program in Clinical Psychology at Chestnut Hill College, and I'm the Founding Executive Director of the Center for Concussion Education and Research at Chestnut Hill College. And Brendan? Hello, I'm Brendan Connell. I'm the uh, head athletic trainer at Pomona High School, and I'm currently contracted through uh, Panorama Orthopedic and Spine. Nice. Um, and uh, my name is Jay McDevitt. I'm a uh, faculty member in the athletic training program at Temple University, and I am one of the uh, contributors to the sports medicine research blog, as well as a concussion educator myself through the uh, brain stats of uh, and BCIU. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys today. This research um, paper was just such a pleasure to read. I absolutely love the idea. So let's just start right there. How did you get the idea for such a novel approach uh, for concussion education delivery? Um, I'll start and then I'll let Bill kind of get into the peer part of it. So um, the NCAA had put out a call for um, novel programs to change the culture of concussion. And I think the peer part of that was something that Bill had really pulled into it. Bill, do you want to talk about the peer component of it? Sure. So um, basically the idea was if you look at the landscape of concussion education, most of the programs that are out there consists of fact sheets, um, videos, and those are very important and, and necessary approaches to concussion education. They've been shown in the research to increase knowledge and to increase awareness of symptoms, uh, the risk of premature return to play. But what they don't appear to do, and there is some research that supports this uh, uh, idea, <clears throat> is that what they don't appear to do is really change the culture of concussion to increase honest and early symptom reporting. So, you know, on first blush, you know, you think, oh, if you know more about it, you know more about the symptoms and the risks of returning to play, then that should get most folks, most student athletes to 
report their concussion, but it turns out it doesn't look like that's the case. So as Meredith mentioned, the NCAA and DOD put out a call for proposals through their My Matters Challenge to develop innovative educational programs that might change the culture of concussion. So, you know, not to get too poetic here, but I was sitting on my back deck, you know, just thinking like, well, what might work? And, you know, I played a lot of sports up through high school. I've coached a lot of youth sports. My son is a, a, a pretty competitive uh, youth sports athlete. And I'm like, you know, these approaches don't appear to, you know, change the culture to get student athletes to report more. So what might do that? And the thing that kind of hit me was, this really needs to come from the student athletes themselves. That needs to be the main driver of the education. And we need to kind of change that culture from within the team. So, you know, you know, thinking about, you know, just the experiences and reviewing the literature, I thought, well, why don't we do something where we take two student athletes per team and we train them to provide two types of information, some information that, uh, does what a lot of programs do, which is to increase concussion knowledge and to uh, increase awareness of symptoms. And and we do think our program goes a little bit more in depth than and and I'll you know Meredith can certainly speak to that part. Um, can go a little bit more in depth in terms of what most concussion education programs offer. But I think the thing that's really uh, different about our program is we have a second educational component based on cognitive behavioral therapy where the student athletes list the thoughts that keep them from reporting and change them to thoughts that facilitate reporting, not only for themselves, but for their team. Uh, and so the idea is they're having a discussion to get back to your, you know, question, Jane, like why peers they're discussing it amongst themselves on why they don't report and what are the changes in thinking and group norms that might facilitate reporting. So, you know, the main idea was let's use, let's use peers appropriately trained and supervised to really be the main vehicle. We tend to listen to our colleagues, we tend to listen to our peers. So that was the idea. Can you just briefly explain the program and um, you know the methodology of how you carried it how you carried it out? Um, sure. sure. You want to explain the program and then I'll do the methodology? Yeah, that's fine. Um, well, why don't you go ahead, Meredith? You know, because I've been talking for a while already. That's okay. So the program is essentially two main components. And the program has, as Bill explained earlier, um, the knowledge component. So there's the first part of the program is describing um, essentially, here is what concussions are. This is um, the knowledge component. So this is what happens when your brain gets concussed. And that part of the program also has, and this is really where Brendan's uh, contribution was really, really excellent. This is also what happens when you go through the return to play protocol. And one of the things that we found that was really, really interesting was that while most of the athletes were pretty familiar with um, some of the symptomology, um, especially things like headaches and things like that, they were not as familiar with some of the symptoms that were less common, um, some of the depressive symptoms and things like that. And so we really went, went forward with highlighting those. We used different colors to really make those things pop. Um, and some of our results show that those were the things that they really gained on in terms of their knowledge. 
The other thing, and, and this is where Brendan was really instrumental, was in identifying that return to play protocol, but not just this is the return to play protocol, but this is how it relates to the pathophysiology. And we didn't use that term because the, the student athletes, um, that was kind of a word. Um, we, we did in our assessments of our development was really understanding what was sort of at, at the student athletes level and what wasn't. The um, second component of the program was, as Bill described, the cognitive behavioral component. And it's a really active component where the student athletes work with um, identifying thoughts or cognitions that would prevent them from reporting their own as well as their teammates' concussion, and then replacement cognitions. And I think this is the part that's so unique that we haven't seen anywhere else. So it's what I call the pre-arming component. So uh, pre-arming them with thoughts that would enhance their reporting before they get on the field, before they have the concussion. This is what I'm gonna do so that if I am found in the situation, this will allow me to really think about reporting my concussion, as well as if I see my teammate in distress or I see them being injured or not, not um, something's off or something's not quite right. This is, I know what I need to do. I don't have to think about it. I'm already there. I already have that cognition right away. It's right there and I have it right there. Um, how we set this up and how we uh, evaluated it was we had uh, 10 schools across all three divisions of the NCAA. We randomly assigned uh, three different gendered uh, high concussive sports for each team to either the control or the experimental condition. Um, and we measured them at baseline immediately after intervention or after control condition. Um, and then one month later, we assessed them on multiple different outcomes. We assessed on intention to report. We assessed them on concussion knowledge. We assessed them on the return to play knowledge, which was Brendan helped us a lot with that um, because that was his area. <laughs> Thank goodness he helped us with that. Um, and we assessed them on a lot of other behavioral outcomes. And then we also took a look at um, and analyzed what they put in those um, in those worksheets, what they were really reporting as those cognitions. So what would, what were those cognitions looking like um, in terms of what they would report, uh, what they what they were going to uh, report, how what that what was preventing them from reporting themselves, what was preventing them from reporting their teammates, and then what were those cognitions that were going to um, enhance their reporting, both for themselves as well as for their teammates? Before we get into um, the results of your study, which were amazing, do you want to um, just touch on how did recruiting go or buy-in and retention? Like, you know, for these really novel programs, typically that can be difficult. Yeah, we actually had pretty good um, recruiting. So for the most part, we didn't have much trouble recruiting. We uh, we attempted to, uh, you know, approach a number of different schools. There were a number that never got back to us, um, There, you know, which is pretty, pretty typical. Our retention of the student athletes that we did recruit was fairly high. So the number who stayed in our, in our study was actually really high. We were actually quite lucky for that. Um, so 
we did not have too much difficulty. How we recruited our participants was we actually approached the athletic directors and the assistant athletic directors at the schools who then carried out the program. So we wanted it to be very um, naturalistic in how it would uh, play out. We did not we were not the ones doing the, the study at the sites. So it was the athletic directors who were doing it. Um, and we wanted the, it to be, again, very naturalistic, how it would happen if somebody were utilizing this program and utilizing the manual that we created at that site, not us going in and saying, this is how you do it. We're doing it. Here it is. Um, so we wanted to see how it would happen if we weren't involved. And that is exactly how it worked. Um, and because that was how it was happening, I think they, the, the athletic trainers, the athletic directors, they were the ones that were carrying it out and they got the student athletes involved. They got them there. They got the team meetings and it was each team. It wasn't individual athletes doing it. And I think that was why we had such good retention. Yeah. Um, how long did the training go for the peer? So there was the primary peer, um, and how did that go, or how, what did that look like? So, so the training takes – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. That's all right. So um, the training takes about an hour to, uh, to train the peer educator. So what we do is we, we do three things, and we've implemented this now outside of the study for about five years at Chestnut Hill College. Mm -hmm. and. Um, when we train them, first thing we do is we go over the education uh, module that is about enhancing knowledge around concussion. So we just go through it with them, and we have them study it and then ask any, any issues they have. Um, and when they actually deliver that education module, there needs to be a faculty or staff member, athletic trainer, neuropsychologist, you know, anyone that has expertise in concussion in the room with them, just to make sure that any difficult questions come up, they have that backup support, which they typically don't need, and just to make sure that information is being presented accurately. Um, <clears throat> then we train them on the cognitive behavioral model of change and using our worksheet activity where they list the thoughts that prevent reporting and change them to thoughts that increase reporting. Um, and the important thing about our training in that module with the peer educators is this is your thing with your team. There's no faculty or staff in the room with them. We want to, you know, first of all, it's not as complex as the first module. And secondly, we really want that to be about that team. Uh, we don't want it to be candid. Um, there's nothing indicated, no names, no nothing on any of the worksheets. Um, so we train them in that. Um, and then the third thing that we really talk about in the training um, is really what their role is and that their role is not to be like a junior athletic trainer their role is not to diagnose concussion, that their role is simply to bring a concern that they have about a teammate to that teammate, encourage that teammate to report. And then at the collegiate level, our expectation is with the peer educators that if that teammate, which many do, unfortunately, according to the research, shrugs it off and says, no, I'm not reporting, our expectation is that we do ask them to go to the athlete trainer or the coach and say, hey, look, so-and-so doesn't look right. I'm on the field with them right now. Um, they really need to be checked out. And we appreciate that is a very challenging situation to be in. Uh, when we train them, we tell them, if you're not up for that, that's fine. We can look at maybe another person coming in that is, is more assertive, or let's problem solve ways in which you can, you can negotiate that. And the student athletes, 
um, at Chestnut Hill College, they come up with really good solutions. They'll say things like, well, you know, I'll go to their best friend on the team or I'll go to the captain and bring them in to kind of help encourage them to report. So um, that's how we, we do that peer educator training. Um, that, uh, so when I was just reading the manuscript, I really liked the um, inclusion of the peer and how they're trying to really help the teammates and the worksheets and, and having this learning over time. But then as you discuss it, it's almost like you're also giving them tools on how to be a, you know, a leader and how to be a compassionate, um, you know, student athlete and friend. So uh, let's get to the meat. So what were your primary results? What were your thoughts and where are you going next? So the primary results were that essentially, I mean, if you just put it in a nutshell, everything was significant, which is, as a scientist is like, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Right. So knowledge increased, intention to report increased, and um, all of our outcomes increased. So what we saw was that the student athletes were, you know, everything that we wanted to see increase, increased, and it held at the one month time point. Um, we also saw that student athletes were more likely to uh, report, they were more likely to report a teammate, they were more likely to report themselves, um, and these were all really good, significant findings. They were more likely to recognize the consequences of reporting, they were more likely to see the impact of that. Um, so all of the sort of um, outcomes that were related to the theory of planned behavior, the theory of reasoned action, were, were significant. Um, where we are looking to go next and how the program was designed actually was to scale, as we say, scale up and scale down. So the original call was from the NCAA and the Department of Defense, and that was intentional. The Department of Defense was included because um, the military was also interested in this because of the high concussion rate that the military has. So when we say scale up, it was you know, designed to scale up to the military. It's also designed to scale down because we also know that if you're really going to change the culture of concussion, you have to change it at the lower school level, at the high school level, and at the middle school level. So when we did some of the preliminary work for this, um, our student-athletes told us you know, if you want to change the culture of concussion, you need to change this at the middle school level. I mean, our athletes told us exactly that. They said, you've got to, you've got to get to the middle schoolers. That's where you're going to see the change in, culture, in, in concussion culture happening. Um, so some of our, you know, future plans are to really change this at the high school and the middle school level. Um, so that's sort of where we see yeah, going. Yeah, that's just what I absolutely really took away from this is you're not just changing concussion knowledge because we've seen that, uh, like Bill said earlier, you know, videos and lectures have also been found to increase lecture, uh, increase knowledge, but reporting behaviors and intentions have really haven't changed. Um, and so I thought that that was really incredible that you, you saw, you saw those changes um, and I really love how you're, um, the approach of scaling up and scaling down and, and, you know, changing the culture that, you know, encompasses concussion reporting. Um, 
So what would you say to somebody that is going, that um, would like to do this at their school? How would you um, say to go about it? Or what would be some tips? So I, we, one think- of the things that we developed as part of our, our program that we developed through NCAA DOD, My Matters, was an online manual. So the idea was we needed something that was going to be easily to disseminate and scalable. So, and Brendan was heavily involved, you know, during that process and be kind of curious to hear some of his thoughts about it too. But the basic idea was um, we're going to develop an online manual. It's going to have step-by-step procedures and we have five steps. One, form the team to implement the program. Two, select the peer concussion educators. We have criteria on how to select them. Three, train the peer concussion educators, which we just talked about. Step four, they actually deliver it to the teammate. And then step five, we have recommendations and measures, including the same measures from our our RCT um, that they can use to assess the program at their own institution if they wish. Um, All of this is available, and and all the materials are are embedded in the online manual, along with video tutorials from the peer concussion educators, the coaches, you know, about just the nuances. You know, you can write something really clearly, hopefully, and you can have the materials, but then hearing someone like Brendan, who's on the online manual, talking about his approach to selecting the peer educators and training them, or listening to a coach. Um, Our peer concussion educator selection committee is an administrator from athletics, an athletic trainer, and a coach on that team. So how they went about it. So everything's on the online manual. Um, In the RCT paper, there's a link to it. Um, There's a link to it in the RCT's companion paper, which was also published in the Journal of Athletic Training, which also describes in more detail the development of the program and the program in general. And then at our Center for Concussion Education and Research at Chestnut Hill College, if you just go to chc.edu and click on the site map, you'll find everything you need. And what we would say is just, you know, follow the manual and, and have fun with it. And I don't know if, Brendan, you want to add anything because you were there with our pilot implementation when we really did not know what we were doing and we were kind of doing it like literally <laughs> one step at a time and filling, backfilling the manual in <laughs> almost simultaneously. So I'm just curious to what your experiences and thoughts were, Brendan. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, with like selecting yes. your educators, I think that is a really, really important factor in this. Um, so having coaches and athletic trainers involved in that process, someone that maybe, you know, these student that students that maybe have an interest in science or um, health, you know, they would be perfect candidates for this um, so that they are just engaged the entire way. And, you know, throughout the whole process of, of doing this and, um, and really just everyone being on board. Um, and I found that with at Chestnut Hill, uh, you know, we had great support from the top down, uh, from the athletic director, the coaches. They presented great candidates, and they weren't necessarily team captains. They were people that were successful in the classroom as well as on the field. Um, and then people, you know, people on the team just had a great relationship with those people as well, uh, those peer educators. And that selection process is really a make or break for how the, um, how it's rolled out. Um, you know, at the high school level, I know that, um, coaches do receive, uh, concussion education and, you know, this would go a step further where 
the student athletes are, you know, taking, taking their health a little bit more seriously um, with this and, and saying, Hey, you know what? I, I'm not going to be a hundred percent if I step back onto the field um, and I'm, you know, dizzy, lightheaded. I have, you know, sensitivity to light. I'm, I'm playing underneath the Friday night lights and, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to participate and give a hundred percent to my team. So I think that's like the main thing that I want kids to, to really take out of this is that hey, we're not holding you back from playing. We want you to go back when you're a hundred percent. So, and with that, you know, I, since I've worked at both the college level and at the high school level, I applaud every athlete that steps into my athletic training room and says, Hey, I, you know, I got, I got hit Saturday, you know, I just not feeling right. I think I have a concussion and, you know, we do do that evaluation and, you know, out of an abundance of caution, you know, we monitor them over those, over those, uh, over that time until they are fully recovered. And um, it's probably like the one thing that I do the most of at the high school is concussion return to play. (laughs) And so it's, uh, it's definitely something that I I really am encouraged by uh, the kids that are going through school right now. And they're, they're coming into my office and saying, Hey, you know, this has happened and can you check me out? And so I think there is some change. And I think that the peer concussion education program will definitely um, aid in that as well and just push it forward even a little bit more. Yeah. Thank you. Um, One other thing that I wanted to really bring out uh, that I really enjoyed about the program was that it really does have a pedagogy backing that, you know, many of these is, are scientifically backed, which I obviously appreciate, but this has both the um, scientific as well as the pedagogy to really put forth um, a well thought out and obviously well formulated uh, program. So um, do you have any um, insight on how you came up with that or how, how, um, how that came about? Yeah, so we did base it on the, the theory of planned behavior and the theory of reasoned action because, you know, there, there really did need to be some kind, of, um, some kind of plan ahead of time. And we also used, I mean, we really combined a couple of different things and, and the, the cognitive behavioral um, theory to, to really give it some, some basis in that. We also wanted to combine the interprofessional um, component of it because that interprofessional team, as, as both Bill and, and Brenda kind of alluded to, um, really gave it the extra component. Um, having that, um, having the buy-in from all levels of the, the college or the university really makes it work. If you don't have that, you, you really don't have a program that works. Um, that was, was instrumental in having it um, go. Um, because, you know, it really does take the whole, I mean, it takes the whole university to really have it be, be effective. Um, it takes the athletic director and the coaches to really say that this is, this is going to work and, um, having, having somebody be in there to, to monitor the program and say, this is, um, you know, yes, you're on track. These student athletes are on track and, and have somebody identify, these are good candidates to be peer educators. That's excellent. Um, and then having everybody around the student athletes saying, this is really good. This is for your health. That's excellent too. Um, yeah. Um, one other thought that just came, just came to my mind. Um, when, 
uh, and Brendan, maybe you can answer this. Um, with the concussion management team um, and you know, moving forward with the concussion education and the return to play, uh, were academic advisors or were there any other uh, people involved in the return to play and maybe like the return to learn aspect of it? Um, when they're, you know, when they were getting to that, that part of their concussion management plan? So at Chestnut Hill, we had a student success coordinator uh, that related to their education. And I don't, they weren't necessarily involved in, in this portion of it, but it was something we were doing at Chestnut Hill. It's like, all right, concussion, we got to contact um, Jess Day, and, and we're going to let them know what symptoms they have, what accommodations that need to be taking place in, in the classroom. And, and uh, you know, I do that now with uh, coordination with the high school, uh, with the school nurse who, who uh, helps me tremendously with making sure that we're communicating with teachers uh, where they're at where and as far as the recovery goes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that addition would be 100% you know, uh, helpful in, in, uh, in the success of rolling this out again at, at the high school level or even at the middle school level. Yeah. If I could elaborate, um, at Chestnut Hill College, I helped develop a return to learn protocol for not only student athletes, but students too. You know, you know, sometimes I think we forget that non-athletes get concussions too. You know, especially when the first snowfall happens and people start sliding down the hills and you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, but what we really benefited a lot from was having that, that student support, uh, personnel and athletics. And I kind of talked with them and the athletic trainers and what do we do with our athletes in terms of return to learn? So they already had an excellent protocol for that. And then, and, and, you know, as you know, Jane, you know, the vast majority of concussions resolve in 10, 14 days, maybe, you know, so what are they going to do in terms of getting the student excused from class? Um, slowly have the student return to the class, watch them closely, maybe put in some temporary academic provisions like, you know, they can wear sunglasses or extended time. And then if the symptoms persist beyond that, and we may be looking at something like persistent post-concussive symptoms, then we would, you know, treat that student like any other student where they need to have an evaluation done and we need a more formal process to determine if they're eligible for what we, what we would call accommodations, not temporary academic provisions. And then it becomes more formalized. So um, that was one of the things that kind of uh, happens uh, in addition. And Chestnut Hill College is a little unique in this regard. And we have a lot of uh, opportunities because um, Close to, I think it's about 38% of the undergraduate student body are Division II student athletes. So we have a very, very high percentage. And as a result, we have a lot of programming and a lot of collaboration and coordination. It's not a um, surprising thing for a professor to have a student athlete in their class. And then, and, and, you know, because of that, know how to work with them and work with athletics and student life as well. That's interesting and so great. We had also done, um, prior to this work, we had done a focus group with our student athletes to find out what the culture of concussion was on campus. And we published this paper in um, the American Journal of College Health. And one of the themes that did come up, and this was actually just before Bill had put into place the return to learn protocol at, at the university, 
um, one of the themes that did come up was that the student athletes really did wish that the that the professors had a better understanding of what they were going through when they were going through a concussion. Um, so the return to learn protocol that Bill put in place really was very timely. Uh, so it was sort of like that theme that came out of the focus group was really coinciding with what the work that Bill was doing to put that return to learn protocol into place at the university. That's great. Yeah, it was, it was sort of, they were, those things were happening in parallel. Yeah. The student athletes were calling for it and Bill was doing the work, you know, not knowing the student athletes were, I mean, knowing, cause obviously he was in the focus group, but <laughs> those two things were happening at the same time. <laughs> the, the smartest thing I did with that was sit down with the athletic trainers, you know, our head athletic trainer, Aaron Fiddler and, um, our, and Jessica Day, who was at that time, the director of athlete support. And that's not our actual title, but it was something like that. And they're like, Bill, we already have a lot of this in place. And I'm like, can I look at it? And I was like, wow, this is really solid. You know, and so we just kind of extended it for what happens when the symptoms don't go away. That's great because it's hard because, you know, from, um, from an athletic trainer's point, um, you know, we're trained in the medical, uh, but um, we don't have that pedagogy side. And then the teachers have the pedagogy side, but not the, you know, the medical. So, you know, there really does need to be a discussion and a collaboration to really move forward you know, you, with this. So that's really interesting and excellent how you really have a, and developed this great, you know, 360 degree concussion plan of care from education, return to play, return to learn. That's, uh, that's amazing. So um, as, uh, you know, we're getting to the end of the podcast, is there any other um, things that you uh, want to bring up that we haven't discussed yet? just kind of throwing it out there a little popcorn you know, i think one of the things that's really unique about our program that's it's really different is the is the teammate aspect of it um one of the things that i don't think a lot of the programs do is is really that care for the teammate um so the looking out for your teammate you know the the component where we do the worksheets where think about when you see your teammate who is might be concussed what are you thinking about? How are you thinking about caring for them? And that is something that we saw movement on. We saw changes in the, um, I, I would report my teammate. I, you know, I, I would look out for them. I would, um, I would intend to report them. Uh, we saw those changes and we're, we're not seeing a lot of other programs that are purposefully doing, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of work in that direction. Mm -hmm. I, I'd say a couple of things. I think one of the things I like about the program is that it's not a one-shot kind of educational experience, right? I mean, we do have a very formal, you know, two very formal presentations that student-athletes do. And um, But one of the things I like is, and what we always wanted to do, is we wanted them to do something. We wanted there to be an active part of this. We didn't want them to just read a fact sheet or watch a video Again, those approaches are important and they're, they're necessary, but we wanted them to do something. And that kind of is what drove the idea around, let's have a worksheet activity. And then I was trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, I've been practicing that for a long time as a neuropsychologist and clinical psychologist. So I'm like, well, this probably is a good thing to add to this model. 
um, and it seems to work for a lot of things. It's very accessible. When people see the worksheets, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I can see that. So we wanted to have something that engaged the student-athletes. They had to do something. And the thing that's really cool about that, Jane, is now they're developing their own educational material. As mm -hmm. Meredith said earlier, they're pre-arming their thinking, modifying their thinking. We're not telling them what the thoughts are. We're not saying, hey, here are the barriers or the thoughts that student-athletes have to prevent reporting, and here's how you need to change them. They're doing that themselves. So now you have engagement in, in the process from the main stakeholder, the student-athletes themselves. You have um, barriers or thoughts of prevent reporting and, and replacement thoughts that might increase reporting that are specific to the team, the institution, the culture of the sport. Um, and so that's one thing that we really like about the program ourselves. I mean, obviously we like the program because we developed it, but, but of course. But um, the other thing is these peer concussion educators, and this is kind of my earlier point, after the formal part of the program, they're embedded now on a team. They're there every game, every practice. They're there during train, you know, during conditioning, you know, weight training. They're there socially. They're there at meals. You know, they're in there in the dorm. So there's multiple opportunities for interaction, uh, for student athletes to informally come to them and go, hey, you know, I took a hit today, and now I'm starting to really feel it more. And then they're there as a resource. So we we um, really happy about that part of the program. And we think that's what one of the things that makes it quite unique. Um, last thing I'll say, just as kind of a, a somewhat random thing, and um, in the RCT paper, we, we did a qualitative debrief of the 10 athletic trainers that implemented the program as part of the RCT. And we were like, you know, we didn't know how this was going to go. I mean, you know, it seemed to go well at Chestnut Hill College, but we were all, all in on it, you know, <laughs> and we had a tremendous amount of institutional support in athletics and student life and even academic affairs. So that really helped it go well. But the, at the debrief, and I know Meredith can probably speak to this too, um, they were very pleased. They felt the online manual was, was clear and easy to use. Um, they felt the program was pretty easily implemented. And the time, you know, the hour or so to train the peer educators and about 45 minutes for the peer educators to give the formal part of the program to their team, they thought cost-benefit-wise to have a what we think is a pretty robust program, that time commitment was pretty reasonable. I don't know if you want to add anything else about the debrief. No, oh, those are those are exactly the kinds of things that. Um, no, that's okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, you know, you're probably gonna spend more money on pizza uh, during like a team meeting for these guys to to have this uh, education program rolled out than you will on the actual program. Um, and it is something that can be done over a team meeting one night post-practice and, you know, where you guys just get together, guys or girls get together and, and uh, talk about this. And it's got a huge injury prevention aspect to it that we love. Uh, you know, anything that reduces injuries and sees our kiddos just not – not have these long and prolonged concussion symptoms and get them back onto the field a little bit faster. And we're all about, absolutely. I think the one recommendation that we have is to try to do this during preseason. So um, August for fall sports and, uh, you know, preseason for other sports, um, mostly because of a timing issue. So the one, the one hurdle that a lot of people had was, was trying to schedule teams. And one of the things that I always say, and it's probably getting really, 
dull for a lot of people is that, you know, if you want to find the busiest person on campus, you find a student athlete. Um, so to try to get a whole team meeting for an hour, I mean, an hour, in our opinion, is not a very long time for the kind of injury prevention that we're talking about here. But also when you're trying to find an hour for this group of people, it is actually kind of difficult. However, you know, the, the recommendation is to do this probably during preseason um, because you can train all of the peer educators at the same time, and then they train their team um, during a team meeting, which is really the easiest time to do it. So, you know, it's, it's a, a one-shot hour deal for all the peer educators and then one shot for the team meeting. Um, and, and really everyone is done. Great. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for all of your time and expertise. Um, at the Sports Medicine Research Blog, we always like to end uh, with a clinical take-home message. So I know we talked a lot about the research, but if you had to summarize it in a succinct statement, how would you summarize and uh, deliver a clinical take-home message for our, um, for our listeners? I'll say that I think this program and how effective it's going to be is all about relationships. It's all about the relationship that the athletic trainer has, coach, team has with the coaches, um, people like myself that are developing programs, just reaching out and, and building the trust, building the relationship and trying to just get everybody on the same page. And, and that's why, you know, Brendan really was, was huge for us to help us develop this because everybody likes him and he's a really solid person and athletic trainer and you, know, you can hear that and as, as he kind of describes things. So I would just say, um, you know, it, it's, it's all about relationships and the pure concussion educator selection process, that's tremendous. They're the lifeblood of the program. Um, if they're not mature, academically solid leaders, um, and if they don't walk the walk themselves, uh, the program's likely not going to be nearly as useful as if they, they walk the walk themselves and, and they're, they're solid people. Great. And thank you guys so much. This has been uh, a real pleasure for me. And uh, I know that our listeners are really going to enjoy this as well. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and if you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our six online evidence-based practice courses available through the Human Kinetics website. We will have links to our summaries, the courses, and the manual on our website and in the show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more sports medicine research. Until then... Have a fun one.